We're starting things off with a word from our sponsor. Since 1998, DVD Netflix has delivered more than 5 billion DVD and Blu-ray rentals to movie lovers in every American zip code and to military bases around the world in their famous, iconic red envelopes. With an extensive library of titles from the early 1900s to today and shows from such premium networks as HBO and Showtime, DVD Netflix is a must for physical media lovers. Featuring a variety of different plans starting at as little as $8.99 per month, it's a great way to experience DVDs and Blu-rays with special features and commentary tracks you won't find anywhere else. A member for over 20 years, so well before I ever began working with the service as an official blogger on acting or as a DVD, Netflix, Twitter, film discussion host, I think it's a terrific way to keep our vintage video store memories alive and support the physical media that we love so much. So be sure to check out DVD Netflix for yourself at dvd.com. Now on with the show. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Returning to the podcast, once again, we have my very talented friend and an official and very popular friend of the show. William Boyle is the acclaimed novelist behind such titles as Gravesend, The Lonely Witness, A Friend is a Gift You Give Yourself, City of Margins, and the brand new Shoot the Moonlight Out. In addition to crafting these wondrously humanistic, lumet-like, character-driven ensemble crime epics, Bill is also quite a pop culture buff and one hell of a good movie trivia game player as well. Bill, thank you so much for joining me. I always have the best time talking movies with you, and I know today's conversation in particular will be especially good. So how are you doing, and how's the year been treating you so far? Thanks, Jen. It's uh, it's great to be back. I, I always love talking movies with you too. Um, yeah, things are things are okay. Um, been been a pretty decent year so far, I think. Just uh, working and and you know trying to scrape by. And uh, yeah, everybody's everybody's doing okay. I've been kind of I told you before. I'm a little under the weather the last yeah. few days, which has uh, given me some good time to sit down and rewatch these. Jennifer Jason Lee movies that I love. Um, but I'm feeling better today. So that's that's good. That's good. Movies are the best medicine, but summer, yeah. spring, summer colds are kind of they linger and they're annoying. So yeah, sorry that you went through that, but I'm glad you're feeling better. But what okay. else have you been up to lately? Are there any new or exciting plans or projects you have in the works, perhaps, that you'd like to talk to us about or anything you've done recently? Um yeah, no, nothing, nothing big. I've been, um, my book, my last book, Shoot the Moonlight Out came out not that long ago, I guess, November or whenever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been working on a new, new book for, um, the last year or so. And I think getting, getting close to, um, finishing, um, a revision of it. Um, so I'm kind of a little bit superstitious about talking oh, you're fine. About, yeah. about stuff too much before I, yeah, I'm, I'm really with you. Completely, completely done with it. But 
so that's been that's been pretty much occupying my time beyond that you know um hanging out with my family watching a lot of movies reading a lot of books and and listening to a lot of music that's uh that's it and got some travel plans as i told you this summer so um heading out west on a big big road trip with my family so getting ready for that's kind of been occupying us lately that is so cool and it's going to be like a month-long adventure something close to that you're going west southwest yep yeah that's the plan visiting some some family and and friends along the way and uh also just kind of leaving leaving time to just wander wander a little bit so that's um, important yeah 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 Yeah. so it is yeah, especially with the pandemic, I think we all got some wanderlust and want to travel a little bit more. So yeah, I am with totally. you. Yeah. Totally. How have you been doing everything good out there? I am doing well. Yeah, I just had a minor surgery and I'm doing better after that. I guess I just have a couple of weeks and then they said I'm good to do anything. But I'm looking forward to doing some traveling as well, seeing some of our mutual friends in LA, hopefully soon, like Rob Belushi and Jordan Harper. So uh, Travis Woods. So I'm hoping to get out there and um, that'll be really cool and maybe travel a few other places. I'm not sure. So I've been stuck inside too long. I think we both have like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Everybody has. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, one of the biggest things we have in common beyond just a real love for film in general, of course, is our great affection for character actors, especially when it comes to the true actors' actors. We grew up watching on screen in the 80s and 90s. In past episodes, we tackled Nicolas Cage, David Morse, and Mickey Rourke. And today we're adding another incredibly talented performer to the roster, zeroing in on the prolific, staggeringly great and endlessly inventive early to mid 90s work of actress Jennifer Jason Lee. We will go deeper into the films you selected, which include Rush, The Hudsucker Proxy, Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle, Georgia and Kansas City one by one in just a moment. But before we do that, I'd love to know what it is about her work, do you think, and Jennifer Jason Lee's screen presence that really sets her apart? Um, you know, she she's somebody I've loved really for as long as I remember loving movies. Um, yeah. And certainly, certainly I saw her early on in, in some of those 80s movies she was in, you know, probably like many people, Fast Times at Ridgemont mm-hmm. High was my first exposure to her. Um, but then by, you know, by the by the late 80s, early 90s, um, which is when I was really coming of age as a, as a movie fan, I was, uh, I was around 12 in 1990 and really starting to watch movies at a more rapid clip and really trying to kind of expand what I watched and, and just, you know, just really discovering a lot of the stuff that would kind of change, change things for me. Um, she was an actress that was, was there and was just kind of very, very present, um, and you know, Miami Blues was was huge for me. You know, I love yes. um, I love that movie, and probably you know I could have very easily added it to this list of movies we're talking about today. It was my introduction to Charles Williford. It was definitely a movie where I first kind of saw her as something else other than than you know what she'd been. Um, 
you know, and, and some of those early eighties and mid eighties movies just kind of really finally getting roles that, um, allowed her to, 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 uh, shine, you know? So, uh, and then, you know, last exit to Brooklyn, I can't remember when I saw that, but, um, mm. it was probably not long after it came out. Um, certainly before I read the book, um, and those were those were kind of a couple of the first first films I remember seeing her in and, and really responding to. And um, like Nicolas Cage, she was somebody who I just kind of I, I think the more I think about it, the more I, I think about how she kind of shaped my development as, as an artist and, you know, the, the kind of um, ways she worked the the risks she took the 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 just um i don't know i know i don't want to sound like you know talk about like uh the way sometimes actors do on like dvd commerce commentaries like you know and and <laughs> very You're uh, fine. about risk risk taking and fearlessness and bravery but it's hard it's hard to avoid those phrases when you think about Especially her with you know? her yeah. Um, you know, so um, I think I felt that, you know, I, I definitely felt it more than I understood it early on, but she was somebody I just latched on to. And again, those were, were very formative years for me as a, as a movie watcher and movie lover and watching her go from, um, you know, those Miami blues and, and last exit to Brooklyn into this, this next phase that we'll talk about today, which is, I think, you know, 91 to 96, which is really her peak, her peak, you know, really, I mean, she's had a, a never had a dull no, moment no. in her career really. But, uh, and I, and I don't think that, you know, obviously I don't think that that's because of her, obviously things you know ageism the sexism sexism yeah, yeah sexism of the industry ageism all those things affected her career because this is you know an unbelievable run of films that she's in during this period um and then it just kind of dries up after yeah. uh, after washington square i think you know she's not really in a ton of stuff for a mm -hmm. little bit of time uh you know except, except maybe existence and uh you know, one or two other things in the late nineties. And then, and then there's a kind of different part of her career that begins in the two thousands. That's, that's interesting in a different way, but it never really, you know, she's never really allowed to kind of do what she did in that, in that period, um, which is just, you know, working with incredible directors, taking chances, these, these just kind of wild, um, and, and, um, you know, brave performances, um, you know, so like, and like Nicolas Cage, I think, you know, she was somebody who, when people didn't get her, um, they didn't get, they really didn't get her, you know, and when they got her, yeah. they really got her. Um, and that was, you know, it was a similar thing for me. I, I, I just latched on, I got her. I, I loved what she was doing. I thought she brought energy to, to movies that, I hadn't seen really. And, and certainly in some of these performances, three of, I think three of them are period pieces. Um, mm -hmm. uh, well, really, I mean, I guess you'd call Russia period piece. Yeah, too. that's true. But, um, but the, you know, Kansas city and Hudsucker proxy and um, Mrs. Parker, yeah. Mrs. Parker, you know, are all movies. Th those performances, I think really drove me back to, 
you know, I mean, I'd always kind of loved old movies, but I think appreciating what she was doing in those movies kind of depended on, on a, a knowledge of, of, you know, older movies. And uh, so it was kind of like a, you know, a, a way of learning about movies too. Like what she was doing was teaching me to go back and appreciate the, the foundation for it um, a little bit more fully. So um, I yeah. think that, you know, that's all, that's all stuff that I love about her, but you're right. I mean, just the presence, she is, she's an incredible presence on film and, and I could have chosen, you know, a, a bunch of other films from this period to talk about that I think are equally as great, but these are the five that really linger with me the most, I think. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought up Miami Blues as well. I just covered that with Dennis Tafoya, who I know is a friend nice. and colleague of yours. So that one has been well covered as well. I think for her, um, when I think of her work and her appeal, it's really she's at the intersection of courage and vulnerability. She's yeah. very courageous, but she's willing to show sides of herself and kind of open up in a way that um, not a lot of actresses, especially those her age that you think of, maybe Winona Ryder, of course, is an exception. But around that period, not too many uh, actresses were really willing to take those risks or go there as much as she was. And I think uh, she's incredible. Of course, you mentioned Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but then she wound up being um, asked to play a lot of victims in the 80s. What was yeah. interesting is in the review of Fast Times, which Roger Ebert actually didn't like, but he did single out her performance and said something like, do they know they have a movie star on their hands? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he knew right away, like this girl had it. She was in TV in the 70s. Of course, her dad, Vic Morrow, was an actor. Her mom is a screenwriter. Um, but, you know, as she kind of continued on, she started to ask herself what she wanted to do. She was drawn to drama. She was actually calls herself a pretty shy and reserved woman in real life. She's like, I only like drama on the screen, not in my real life, which I think is going to be surprising to a lot of people because you think of her great, messy, complicated women when you think of Jennifer Jason Lee. And we're going to talk about several of those today. But um, this kind of gives her a safe way to play in that, that sandbox that she doesn't allow in her own private life. And uh, Miami Blues was the film that she has said was the first one she feels she didn't fuck up any scenes. That's a, a quote actually from an interview. She's like, I don't think I fucked up any scenes. So she still had some uh, reservations about her performance in Last Exit to Brooklyn. Miami Blues is a film that she still holds as one of her favorites, but there are a few that we're going to be talking about today that she's also very, very proud of, especially Georgia, because it is such an incredibly personal movie and I do love this era that you chose for her there are some other films you know that show um, her range even something mainstream like single white female which gave her the money and some of the gravitas she needed to get Georgia made and some of these other films made and then Washington Square I'm also glad you brought up because I think she is so good in that film I love yeah. the and Jessica Holland version of the Henry James story. It's really well done. Um, there's a lot we could have done today, but I think this is a good five to start with. These are very diverse, some uh, challenging, arty films that I think people 
probably haven't maybe seen in so many years. I hadn't watched these since the 90s myself or most of them. I've tried um, Hudsucker Proxy several times over the past few decades, but the rest of them, it had been quite a long time, except Kansas City, which did come out in Blu-ray like a couple years ago when I wrote about it. And I loved writing about that one. So I'm eager to go in, but Kicking things off, we have the 1991 crime drama Rush from director Lily Finney Zanuck, based on a novel by Kim Ramsey Wozencraft that was based on an actual Tyler, Texas Police Department scandal from 1978. The film stars Jennifer Jason Leigh as a fresh-faced, fresh-from-the-police-academy graduate who is scheduled to go undercover as a narc along with the veteran, shady, increasingly paranoid Jason Patrick, blurring the lines between the fact of themselves as people and the fictional selves they're playing as they go undercover among the dopers of Texas. The two become both lovers and drug addicts in quick succession, perhaps as much out of their own free will as much as necessity of their jobs. Featuring Sam Elliott, Greg Allman, and Max Perlick, And the music of Eric Clapton, whose smash hit Tears in Heaven was used in the film. I'll let you start us off here, Bill. So talk to me about Rush. Well, this is one of those movies, again, you know, you know, formative, formative years for me. I guess I was 13 or so when this came out and um, and I loved it. You know, I just Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't. I knew that I was drawn to, to dark stuff. I knew that I was drawn to crime fiction and noir and crime films. And um, <clears throat> this had had elements of all of that. And, you know, in fact, I think it was just uh, included in that great looking imprint films, neo-noir yeah, um, Blu-ray box set that just came out. Um, and, you know, it, it, to me, it is kind of, uh, you know, a, a film that maybe it's not the as good as, as some of the best neo-noir films of, of that era, um, One False Move and Red Rock West um, come to mind. But it's it's up there, and a large part of why it's up there for me is her, is Jennifer Jason Lee's performance in this movie, which is um, what I liked about it then and what I still like most about it, I think. Um, you know, re-watching it this time. I had rewatched it not that long ago. Um, and uh maybe two years ago and really you know she she's it's a quieter performance than some of the other films we're going to talk about today but um it kind of doesn't hit a false note uh and you know as much as i i like jason patrick a lot of the time um, yeah i'm not as sure about his performance in this movie sometimes yeah, it's a little, there's a little bravado going on yeah. a few times. And I think, yeah, yeah, she's woo, really, really well, good. Yeah, but she definitely, you know, I think, so that was the thing I responded to. I mean, I, you know, I read the, I read the novel. It was, okay. it was a great example of, you know, a lot of, a lot of novels I came to love in those early days of, of getting into movies and, and books. I think I came to through the movie, um, you know, so um that's how I read Jim Thompson for the first time. That's how I read a lot of a lot of writers I, I love. Um, so I read this. This was an example of you know a, a book that I read that I probably wouldn't have even known about had I not seen the movie. And it's a great, great novel. Um, you know, I, think I was the curious novel, about that. I'm glad you've read it. I, I figured you probably would have. Yes. 
Uh, yeah, it's terrific. I actually reread it a couple of years ago too. When I when the when the movie I can't remember when. I think Kino Lorber put this out on Blu-ray not that long ago, and and it kind of drove me back to to it. Um, and um, I even I scored a copy of the the like the I don't usually like novel tie-in edition or like whatever movie tie-in editions of novels, but mm-hmm. I wanted to get the copy of the novel that I'd had when I was a kid that I'd lost somewhere along the way, so I, I got another copy of it. Um, it's a great great book, um, and. Uh, you know, I think it's a pretty, pretty, as far as adaptations go, it's pretty, um, pretty good from what I remember, pretty true. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, uh, it, it's weirdly remembered mostly for that Eric Clapton song, um, which yeah. is not in the movie at all until the end. I mean, it's in the, he did the score too, which is kind of like a weird, like lethal weapon type score or something um it is it doesn't really flow with yeah with the the period i think it's kind of a strange score but yeah i remember that era though on mtv for a while when you could not turn mtv on without like seeing the clips from this movie and tears of heaven and tears in heaven and yeah and of course this also coincided with around the time of the horrific tragedy with eric clapton's child and so they just kept playing the hell out of this song and yeah and so i remember when i finally saw rush it was like oh the tears in heaven movie and it was wait yeah it didn't really completely flow with uh with that either eric was doing interesting things with music i guess that maybe didn't really go with the the uh, premise greg allman my god i mean yeah <laughs> yeah who knew that he was going to be a villain yeah yep i remember yeah a very very quiet very quiet villain does yes. he even have a line in the movie i can't remember if he even says and he says yeah barely, he's like barely yeah. anything it's just a presence yes i i will say as much as i i want i'm here obviously to talk about jennifer jason lee and i think she's incredible in this movie but um since you brought him up, I th- and he's in two of the movies that we're talking yeah. about. Max, per- Max Perlick is Perlick is is uh, amazing in it. I think um, he really in both was. this and Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in a bunch of these films around this time period. He was also in like Drugstore Cowboy. Yeah. We yeah. saw him in Beautiful Girls. Like he was just kind of popping up in movies all over the place, usually independent or artier films. But he worked extremely well uh in with jennifer jason lee in these films i thought especially georgia and this yeah he's just got this incredible uh just heart and tenderness he's kind of got a kevin kevin corrigan quality that those guys always remind me of each other and the the fact that they can do a lot with not much and just kind of wear their emotions on their face and just bring this yeah this tenderness to these parts that might not otherwise i mean i i think you know that part in the in the movie had it been played differently could have been a, a nothing kind of part uh in mm-hmm. rush max perlich perlich's part in rush but um he really does bring something to it and and a lot like you said a lot of a lot of that is their chemistry together they in both these movies they have a real um a, a real great chemistry in fact, I think they have a better chemistry than than probably Jason, Jason Patrick, Patrick and Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah, you know, it was interesting watching this very <laughs> soon after I did that episode with uh, Dennis Tafoya because one of the other films that he chose besides Miami Blues was After Dark, My Sweet. 
And so watching those in the last like month and a half and then watching, it was like, oh, they're together. This is going to be phenomenal. Like I hadn't seen this since I probably rented it in the early 90s. And watching it, it's like, they do not have the greatest of chemistry. But what I love about them is their willingness to take risks and really go for it. He is playing kind of a difficult role where you're like, is he being Steve McQueen here or what's going on? And then other times you see that tenderness or um, the little vulnerability coming out in him. And I think it really didn't fully work, though, from start to finish. He was showing different sides of himself in different scenes, which he would do, I think, being undercover, of course. But I, I don't necessarily know if he had a good handle or maybe it was the direction of what he was supposed to do with that performance. And I feel like maybe she was in far more control of what she wanted to do and who she was playing. And she had that woman down. I also thought Sam Elliott was very good. Um, He's always great, a really good presence there. Um, It was kind of a trip to watch this movie because I I know somebody who was undercover drug task force in modern times. And so watching this and thinking about like, well, that doesn't happen or or what happens nowadays and wondering, um, you know, what that would have been like back then and thinking, boy, I'm glad he was not doing this in the 1970s. My God. But I love the the music of the film. I mean, we already talked about the weird clapped and stuff going on, but the actual (laughs) like source music is very good. Uh, the cars, I became like weirdly obsessed with the Dodge Charger that yeah. uh, Jason Patrick's driving. Of course, it's green. And I'd always heard I kind of come from auto people. And so my dad always warned me, you know, green for a car is really bad luck because whenever he was watching like car races, the green ones were always the ones that were wiping out. <laughs> and so when I saw the green car, I was like, uh oh, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that, that's a, that's a great. Great way to put it. I think um, Jason Patrick's performance to me does feel like haunted by other performances yeah. or something. Um, whereas Jennifer Jason Lee feels in control um, and, and feels like she's doing her own thing. Um, I also, you know, I love, obviously I, I again came of age in the nineties. And so I, I'm, I'm drawn to 90s stuff in general, but I, I like, I have a particular affinity, I think, for 90s films that are 70s period pieces. Um, Something that, you know... They were really popular. Yeah. Yeah, there was a stretch there where they were. And um, and maybe it's, again, just part of um, that being kind of what helped me develop as a a viewer and a writer and all of that. But it was always something I was, was drawn to. And I think this movie... I mean, it's weird to think that, you know, Rush came out in, what, 91? Um, was it 91 or 92? I can't remember. 91? 91, um, yeah. You know, that it's it's the 70s are not that far off. I mean, uh, no. it's, you know, whatever, 17 years after the movie takes place. So it's not, uh, I think the movie's set in 74. Is that right? I can't I remember. believe so, um, yep. Um, so... Um, you know, that's, that's definitely something that I, I really respond to. And I feel like, you know, movies now made now that are kind of seventies period pieces or, or even eighties period pieces just feel different. Um, they don't quite get it in some, some way. Um, yeah, maybe this that's had because more grit 
yeah yeah it's not as shiny yep yeah and and maybe some of that is like you know the way people use digital stuff now and and whatever but it's really not that far removed so it probably wasn't very difficult for them to make this period piece you know and um that comes through i mean that 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 kind of phony quality that's present in a lot of newer period stuff is not there in this um but yeah, I mean, again, you know, to me, um, the thing I think that drives me back to this most of all is is her, um, and you know, she's yeah. so so um, quiet and 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 tender, and it, it, you know, it's interesting. Part of the reason I definitely wanted to talk about Rush, um, even though it's probably you know not if I was ranking these performances of hers. Um, you know, probably not be my, probably be my fifth out of these. And, mm-hmm. um, it's, but it's such a, a different performance than the rest of these, you know, it's just, uh, indicative of her, her range and, and, um, what she was capable of and how she could move so seamlessly from something like this to, to shortcuts to, to Mrs. Parker, yes. to, you know, I mean, just amazing, uh, just amazing range, amazing, um, ability to tap into these kind of haunted, haunted women. Yeah, that's a really good point. When I was doing some reading about Jennifer Jason Lee, I was getting really angry reading some of the contemporaneous uh, media coverage and film criticism that was written around the time. I mean, there's a lot of sexism that goes through, but they kind of just seemed to zero in on the films where she played like a prostitute, essentially. I think it was Owen Gleiberman who said she was the Meryl Streep of bimbos or something like that. And I feel like that's really undervaluing what she did. She played um, characters with far more range. Yes, she did tend to play some hookers there for a little bit. And she was, Jordan Harper actually on the show told me this story he had heard about her auditioning for Pretty Woman and giving like a real reading of what uh, a prostitute (laughs) would have been like. And uh, they said, yeah, but this is a romantic comedy. Can you lighten it up? And um, Jordan said the line that he heard that she said directly back to the casting agent is, yeah, but this is a woman that sucks cocks for money. So it's not like happy. And uh, <laughs> so uh, she was not chosen for Pretty Woman, but she was in the. Wow, that would have that would have been a very different movie. That would have been a very different rom-com. <laughs> yes. Yes. But. You know, she she did. I'm glad that you I mean, she did play another like a phone sex operative and uh, shortcuts. There was another critic. I can't think who it was. It wasn't Gliberman who was kind of zeroing in as well on um, how much sex defined a lot of her characters. And I think it's just maybe um, what she was interested in and maybe what she was getting offered. But the deeper that we get into the 90s here, like looking at Hudsucker Proxy or Mrs. Parker, she was really going for just strong, ballsy women and um, able to show different sides of herself that we didn't maybe see coming. That's one thing I really like about Rush. At the beginning, you think she's just this fresh off the farm, like she can run faster than the men. And then uh, as the film continues, boy, does she change and grow. And I did want to ask you, and we're warning anyone listening who hasn't seen the film or it's been a while that this is a spoiler. What happened at the end of the book? Was it very similar to the end of the movie? Oh man. You know, I, I, it's been, I have a 
I'm ashamed to say that I have a terrible memory oh, that's um, okay. very that's... often when it comes to books. Um, yeah, you know, unless fine. I've just read unless I've just read something, I, I tend to not I do that with so film I, sometimes. So don't worry. Yeah. yeah. I, it's been a it's been a minute since I read it, so I can't remember. It's it's different. Um okay. I, I can't remember exactly how, but yeah. I need to I need to go back and, and oh, read you're it. fine. No, what Sorry. I was alluding to for people who it maybe um has been a while is at the end uh greg allman is taken out and they don't show it maybe for like legal reasons or they don't want to show like we don't see that it's her you think it's her she's taking him out on behalf of jason patrick who was killed um yeah. and it's a real like whoa this woman has changed from the beginning uh shooting beer cans and running faster than the boys like i said and kind of being um sort of a like a Dudley do right, but a woman's version. And then at the end, um, she's a hard ass. And it kind of made me think, boy, you know, we would have followed up that movie with uh, the adventures of the Jennifer Jason Lee character. That would have been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- you know, I think part of what makes that ending, I like the the ambivalence of that ending because yeah. you do, you do kind of wonder mm-hmm. if it was, if it was, I mean, it could also, I don't know if it would be true to the point of view of the movie, but it could, easily been the Sam Elliott character yes, or, that's true. or um someone hired too uh which would make more sense I think yeah. um he would seem probably more capable of that and she also mm-hmm. knows that they did you know by all accounts they did um screw over Greg Allman's character or but uh yeah so it's uh it's part of what makes that that ending work I think or or makes it not feel totally ineffective is that ambivalence um one other thing i wanted to say too i mean you know i've been like a lot of people i think um and i know you just had her on the podcast i've been listening to karina longworth's um great new season of must remember this and it's really interesting to go back to these jennifer jason lee movies from this i know she's doing uh karina longworth's doing the 90s next but it's been interesting to kind of put in context what Jennifer Jason Lee was coming out of. And I'm thinking specifically of what you just said about that Owen Gleiberman quote and the way people responded to some of those, those roles of hers in the mid to late eighties. Um, just to, to think of what she probably had to deal with and put up with and, and uh, how she came out of that to this when she could have, you know, gone down um, a, a very, a uh, different path, I imagine, to, to emerge from that scene as somebody who has a, you know, I mean, she's got, I think part of what draws me to her is she's got this kind of, I don't know if people use this word in terms of actors, but uh, whatever, um, like this auteur quality about her, particularly in this period where it's like, you're, you're just watching anything she does because yeah. Nicholas Cage has that same thing because she's such a, got such range got such presence got such you know make such great and interesting choices um so again yeah i think it's interesting to just kind of having listened to those however many episodes she's done so far through the 80s Mm -hmm. kind of building a framework for what hollywood was like and what films were like um obviously i was watching movies at that time but i wasn't really probably appreciating what was happening 
in a larger yeah. context. Same. Yeah, we're very close to the same age. So exactly the same. And I agree with you there. I think, you know, she is just she's phenomenal. And also what what she must have gone through. I think it was rare too for women. We saw that with like, you know, you were always going to be interested in what Nicolas Cage, Sean Penn, a couple of these guys were doing around this time. But for women, really only it was her and Winona Ryder. I can't really think of too many other actresses, especially around their age, that um, had this. Whereas we had a lot of these, you know, character actors like um, males that we were following. Uh, Christian Slater became that guy, River Phoenix, Johnny Depp. They were all interesting like no matter what they were in you were going to want to go see that film and when it came to the women we didn't really have too many but jennifer jason lee was always that one and um she maybe wasn't the the marquee the movie star name that like a julia roberts became or something from the same period but the work was always very true and it was gritty and um you know worth checking out yes but next up, we have an unusual play on Capra, Hawks, Sturges, 30s Screwball, and 50s Madison Avenue dramas, as served up by the Coen brothers, and co-writer Sam Raimi. 1994's The Hudsucker Proxy follows Tim Robbins' idealistic, ambitious, yet slightly dim business school graduate who leaves his home in Muncie, Indiana, and travels to New York City to look for work in the late 1950s. Becoming a mailroom clerk at Hudsucker Industries, he is soon installed as the head of the company after the founder and president's suicide in order to run a stock scheme that is led by the manipulative Paul Newman's influential board member. Understanding before Robbins does that there is something rotten in Denmark about the whole arrangement, Pulitzer Prize winning newspaper woman Jennifer Jason Lee is on the case to sleuth it out, going undercover as a Muncie girl herself in the Big Apple and becoming involved with Robbins. Lee is stellar and my favorite thing about the movie via her delivery and performance, which is very much modeled on Rosalind Russell in His Girl Friday. Catherine Hepburn in the 1930s and 40s overall, and also Barbara Stanwyck, I felt, especially in the Sturges films. It's an ingenious turn, I believe. I like it better than the film overall, but I'm sure you love her performance too, and I know the film um, works a lot more for you. So what is your take on this one? Yeah, well, you know, so this is, we're jumping a few years here, and yeah, like I said, I could have easily, there's not that many movies for her between Rush and this. Um, there's single white female, which is huge, obviously, you know, probably her most, uh, probably her most successful movie up to that point where she was the the, the star. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then there's shortcuts and, uh, and then this, um, so I was, by this point, I was a huge Jennifer Jason Lee fan and a huge Coen Brothers fan. So oh, yeah, yeah. there was no, there was no way I was not going to respond to it and um and i think you know i don't know i can't remember if this is accurate but i feel like that sucker proxy mostly got pretty negative reviews when it came out um and um mixed mixed yeah yeah and so i think that kind of probably endeared me to it i think i've been drawn i've been drawn my whole 
life to, to movies or projects that people might think of as kind of ambitious failures. You know, I love uh, One from the Heart. Couple is One from the Heart. Oh, I love I movies. I love that like, movie. You know, yeah. I, I love, you know, so, you know, I think I, that endeared me to the Hot Sucker Proxy right away. The fact that this was kind of seen as a, as an ambitious failure, but I don't think it's a failure. I do think it, I do think it's a, a great, um, a, a movie that works for me. And, and, and a big part of why it works is, is her performance. Um, you know, I, I think, I think she's just absolutely hilarious and brilliant in it. And I think, you know, I, I knew, you know, that Rosalind Russell's um, performance in his girl Friday was a huge, um, influence on this and and like i said earlier this is this is one of those performances that i think drove me back to you know uh, like a movie like that which i probably hadn't seen before you know i was 15 yeah. or, or 16 um so it really brought me an appreciation for for um for that movie and and for um some of those Catherine Hepburn performances you mentioned and and I think you're right you know I mean I don't know that I'd ever until you said it I don't know that I'd ever thought of her as having such a Barbara Stanwyck quality but now that you said it it seems such a like such a great point of comparison she has you know Stanwyck kind of DNA all all over the place um and so I definitely feel that here and, and in some of these other performances we're talking about today today too um you know I, I think to me it's a it's like like jennifer jason lee and like nicholas cage you know i think this is a movie that you know either it works for you or it doesn't work for you and and I, I know that it doesn't for a lot of people and i don't know if it's because the humor doesn't land or the 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 structure doesn't work or, or what but um it just always landed for me and you know I, I always found it deeply funny and and uh, i think tim rob in it I, I love paul newman in it um but jennifer jason lee is just you know just just otherworldly great in this movie to me i just uh, i love this performance and it's the kind of you know foundation for these other performances to come um which i i, I kind of you know, I know they're not a trilogy in any way, shape, or form, but I do feel like Hudsucker Proxy, Mrs. Parker, and the Vicious Circle, and and Kansas City form some kind of they go trilogy. Yeah, yeah, some some kind of trilogy of of what you know performance anyway. Um, just uh, just I don't know. I mean, there's not a lot of performances like this in the modern era that are genuine uh, without being kind of like fake retro i mean it's, it feels like a kind of out of time performance like this could have been the 1930s or 40s or it could be the 90s it does it doesn't feel phony in any way it just feels like a great screwball performance and um, i agree I, with you yeah that's exactly i'm glad you said fake retro it's not that at all because I was thinking while I was watching it, as much as I love Kate Blanchett and I think she's a phenomenal actress, when you see her in uh, The Aviator, which she won an Oscar for, you kind of yeah. see her almost cosplaying a little bit as mm -hmm. Catherine Hepburn or the artifice is there. At least it is for me. It seems a little um, more affected where she's 
more natural when she gets to invent the character or the persona herself in something like Carol, which I think she was just, you know, tremendous in, and it's one of my favorites. But when you contrast a performance like her playing Catherine Hepburn in Aviator, and again, I'm not picking on Blanchett, I love her, but when you contrast that with what Jennifer Jason Leigh is doing here, yeah, it's stylized. And I think that's part of the movie kind of holds you at an arm's length a little bit with the stylized uh, tone and what they're going for. But she very much feels like you could have just slid her right in there with um, Barbara Stanwyck, Catherine Hepburn, all of these actresses, oh, I'm blanking on the name from Awful Truth. Irene Dunn is another oh, yeah, one. Dunn, yeah, Claudette yeah. Colbert. You can just kind of see yeah, her Lombard, among yeah. all of these women. And uh, Kay Francis is another one. Like she just seems to fit. She could have gone toe to toe with these women. And I love that about her because I do feel like Coen brothers are different for everyone. You know, uh, to bring up Jordan again, he talked about uh, pitching in Hollywood, how dicey it is sometimes to say, oh, we're going for Coen Brothers here because your idea of Coen Brothers might be different than somebody else's. Someone might love like Barton Fink or Big Lebowski. And another person is like, well, my favorite is No Country for Old Men. So yeah. there's always a different thing going on with the Coen Brothers. This one just didn't really work for me as well. I think... Um, I don't know. I did read one review and again, I'm blanking on who wrote it from the time period. I think they were maybe getting a little nitpicky. They were saying something like, you know, you have a, a Sturgis heroine in the middle of a Frank Capra movie and they shouldn't be together or something like that. And I was like, ah, I think it's a little more broad than that, but uh, we can get that nitpicky. If you want to get that nitpicky, you do have the cynicism and then you have this weird sort of um, hand of God situation happening at the end with the going back in time. I like what they're going for sometimes with the motif of circles and how the, the film is circular and it goes around like the clock. And I like uh, in the hula hoop, like the good thing with the circles, I think it's super ambitious. And I like that you brought up ambitious failures because I will always opt for an ambitious failure over a movie that's like is so boring but plays it safe um to use another film from this period it kind of reminds me of one that i did revisit several times just like the hudsucker proxy hoping i would love it and that one i wound up actually loving over the years each time a little bit more was joe versus the volcano which yeah. really kind of hit audiences i love that movie yeah I did not like it when it came out. I probably didn't like it the first four times I saw it, but each time I've liked it more and more. And it really started to click like within the last couple of years, I think the pandemic had something to do with it. This one, I do keep trying and I will keep trying in the future to see if this one works for me, but unfortunately I'm just not there yet. Yeah, yeah no, and again, I get that. You know, it's, um, I think I like the, I like the kind of, wildness of the the influences you know there's just yeah. there there is just kind of a hodgepodge of of stuff they're they're influenced by and kind of throwing at the wall in this movie which is i think something i really respond to and, and like you said i mean the Coen brothers are so um all over the place in terms yeah. of tone and what they're going for and i think this movie is is all of those things in one movie, you know, whereas, you know, when you're comparing something like the big Lebowski and 
and No Country for Old Men, like those are, are movies that I think are consistent of tone, you know, in, in their own space. But this movie is kind of all all over the place. Um, yeah. You know, part screwball comedy, part kind of something else, kind of part supernatural, um, yeah. you know, part, part Capra-esque. Um, I, a little bit watching it this time, I, I, I don't know if it was just because I, I recently rewatched the producers, but um, I, I thought of the producers a lot this time, which I never really, yeah, yeah, I never, I'd never really made that connection. But in retrospect, it seems pretty obvious, I guess. Um, yeah, a little sweet smell of success and some yeah. of those movies from the fifties too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, again, it is. You know, I, I I get that. I think people tend to have a hard time with movies that are so tonally all over the place yeah throwing yeah. everything in a blender essentially yeah. well one thing i've always admired about the cohen brothers is their passion for film really does shine through and um you brought up how this did make you curious or want to seek out um, his girl friday and there are several films like from the the cohen's or movies that they've mentioned over the years i remember them talking about like mildred pierce which made me yeah. seek that out when i was much younger of course um blood simple and double indemnity or postman always rings twice or all these other films that they were citing or referencing or kind of paying tribute to um as the years went on and i think their film letter literacy is very strong and um yeah, I do like that they kind of, this is a grab bag. It's like 30 different years of cinema that they're kind of going for. And I guess 40, if you want to count uh, like the producers as well, they were drawing on these old things. Uh, I don't know necessarily if this had something to do with the Sam Raimi of it all a little bit with that collaboration. He said, I think in an interview, it was only a minor rewrite that he did. It was written originally in 1981, but it was the film they wanted to do as their follow-up to Blood Simple, but that was an independent film and they didn't have the budget for it or it was like too massive of an undertaking. But this was positioned at a time in their career when they had had a few critical hits and people were starting to take note. And I know like Tom Cruise was in the talks to be in the film and some other big movie stars. But I do like that the, the cast they wound up with, I think you do need the gravitas of yeah. Paul Newman for that character. But I like that it's Tim Robbins who is kind of taking chances in his own career around this time. This was around the time of like Bob Roberts and, uh, you know, post Bull Durham. And he kind of had a breakout success, but then was looking for scripts that were really interesting and going for the same uh, approach. I think that Jennifer Jason Lee was of material first and who you're going to yeah. collaborate with. Yeah. 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 And I think that, yeah, again, that, that's a great, that's a great point. And that's something that, you know, really comes through in this period of her films that she is, I think, guided by collaborating with, with great directors, um, mm -hmm. you know, particularly in this, this, uh, this stretch we're going to talk about here with the Coens and, and Altman and, and Ellen Rudolph and, um, so that's yeah that's a that's a great point um and yeah and i think you know tim robbins and jennifer jason lee i like i like together in this movie a lot um I yeah think, that was a weird match like i wouldn't have necessarily thought to put them together but yeah. it worked well yeah 
I mean, they have some of my favorite scenes in this movie are they're they're a little, yeah. you know, when she's kind of fumbling along with the Muncie cheer. Um, oh, that's hilarious! Yes, she's like great, great moments. Him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, great, great moments like that. Um, you know, just just uh, rewatching it. You know, Warner Archive put this out on Blu-ray. I want to say a couple of years ago, so it's one I revisit fairly, fairly often. Um, and it's a movie that you know, it's not it's not ever a movie that you're kind of just dying laughing at um, even if you enjoy it and find it funny, I think, but there are, there are just some wonderful funny moments throughout. And, um, and yeah, in a lot of ways, I feel like it's Coen brothers kind of taking on almost, I I don't want to say parodying, but messing with kind of the, the kind of classic American, story in some really interesting ways like you know kind of the the their play on american modernist novels or or or, or something capitalism and yeah yeah what america is essentially yeah yeah so there's there's elements of all that then there is a very they are you know i mean i definitely read james m kane and and um some other writers because of the coen brothers as a kid um for the first time and and there is a real, not only um, a, a reverence for, for for film in their work, but there is a, a real literary foundation, yes. I think, and that really comes through in this in this movie to me. I mean, you have elements of of that kind of, you know, I don't know, Sherwood Anderson kind of, um, you know, yeah. vision of of America, or or you know, one of the one of those one of those kind of writers, maybe a little bit of Fitzgerald, a little bit of those those kind of writers from that mm-hmm. period who were really some Claire Lewis to, and yeah, yeah, some of those, Claire Lewis, yeah. maybe Edna Ferber, and you know, just that that whole crew, um, and um, that's something I definitely appreciate it, uh, appreciate about it, and and just the you know the look of it. I mean, you know, this is. Oh, it's a great looking film. Absolutely. Joel Silver um, gave them creative control. They did like a set of New York and yeah, it's, it's stunning to the eye for sure. It really is. And it's, you know, it's all, I mean, imagine, I don't know. I don't know exactly what I'm talking about, but it's all practical and, you know, all like, it's kind of this last gasp because it's 94 and it's what, 96 when really kind of digital starts to creep Started in. To, yeah. Really take so it's over. kind of, it's kind of the, you know, I don't imagine a movie. Well, I don't imagine a movie like this would get made now. Number one, no, <laughs> number not one at, all. at all. And certainly wouldn't get made in this, in this way, even if somebody was able to make it, it would have that kind of, it would have to be like that, that kind of mank look or quality which is not the same yeah no i agree with you for sure a very ambitious uh film the production design the costuming the music carter burwell i mean yeah yeah Yeah. there's some great production specs for sure and also in 1994 we find jennifer jason lee giving a tour de force performance in director alan rudolph's mrs parker and the vicious circle as the legendary writer Dorothy Parker, who gathered almost every weekday for 10 years, starting in 1919 at the Algonquin Hotel in Manhattan, along with dozens of the best artists, writers, critics, and entertainers of the era. A film I remember seeing when it was new as a teenager, but one that hit me 
much harder now that I'm both a writer and someone far more familiar with the work of its incredible cast of characters and its actors, of course. I'm so glad you selected this one, but it was hard to find. I want to give everyone a, a heads up. It was made for one of those boutique art house divisions in the 90s that went under, unfortunately. So I was only able to find it on uh, the Apple store or in that um, the iTunes store. So check it out there. But let's get into it. Start us off on Mrs. Parker. Um, yeah, it was it was briefly on uh, the Criterion Channel maybe yes. last year too, which mm-hmm. I, I was hoping that would mean they would release it. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I, I really hope that happens down the road soon. Um, mm-hmm. I, I definitely came to this movie first as a Jennifer Jason Lee fan. Above all else, I would have seen this movie, you know, when it came out for that reason, I probably didn't know much about Dorothy Parker at that point. I maybe knew her name. I probably hadn't seen any Alan Rudolph movies. Um, at that point, it was probably my first movie of his. I might've known his name since I knew he was kind of an Altman protege mm-hmm. um, at the time. Uh, but, you know, now I come to it as a huge Jennifer Jason Lee fan, a huge Alan Rudolph fan and a, a huge Dorothy Parker fan. So uh, it kind of hits on all, all those cylinders for me. It's, um, it's, uh, full of some of my favorite actors other than Jennifer Jason. I mean, I obviously oh, love yeah, her. This cast. She, it's an incredible cast of kind of early nineties, just kind of, Who's who? uh, Campbell Scott, Lily Taylor, oh my uh, God. Andrew yeah. McCarthy, Matthew Broderick, just, just uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, I mean, everybody, Heather Graham pops up. Just a, Martha a massive. Plimpton. Martha yeah. Plimpton. They're um, all in here. Yep. You got Wallace Shawn. Everyone. Wallace Shawn, yes. yeah. It go, Stanley it Tucci. Stanley yeah. Tucci shows up in that great scene at the end. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's uh, a movie I hadn't, I revisited it for the first time in a while, maybe two or three years ago. And I've watched it uh, two or three times since then. Before that, I hadn't seen it since it came out. So I brought very different things to it this time, uh, obviously. And, um, and you know, chief among those, I, I think, was, you know, being Alan Rudolph in, in the last few years uh, has, has kind of become one of my favorite directors ever. Um, he's somebody who I'd, I'd seen, you know, I think I'd seen this and mortal thoughts and that was about it for for a while and uh, i've kind of gone back um and uh, i can't remember what even the 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 impetus was but um at some point a few years ago i really started buckling down and and watching all of his films that i hadn't seen and you know i saw choose me for the first time and trouble in mind for the first time and and remember my name and welcome to LA and um, Equinox, all these movies that are just, um, just totally on my wavelength. And and so he's become hugely important in, in my, in my life. Um, and so watching it now and, and seeing that, you know, seeing it as an Alan Rudolph movie is, is, um, is crucial to, to kind of my appreciation of it now, but, but her performances is, is brilliant. And it's kind of what you were talking about with Kate Blanchett and the aviator. This is a hard line to walk in a movie. That's a ostensibly a biopic, but this movie does not feel like a biopic at all. I mean, no. I think that, you know, that biopics kind of 
you know, when I think of biotech, the moss walls sometimes these yeah. old, yeah, just not kind of at form, all. You know, you think of especially kind of posts, or you know, I don't know, whatever. Definitely, like walk the line on the kind of style of formulaic uh, biopics that have kind of taken over. But um, I, I probably even earlier than that. Uh, you know, I think for me. You know, there's that kind of 70s and early 80s wave of biopics that are are, are pretty good, you know, or, or great, like Cold Miner's Daughter. And then maybe it gets a little more scattered and a little bit more kind of, you know, in the vein of just um, these kind of very formulaic life stories. And this is not that at all. I mean, it's structurally challenging and and her performance is not i don't think you know never veers into that kind of what you what you said before that kind of cosplay um yeah she's really going for authenticity i did read that a lot of the actors were actually improvising some of their stuff in character which is crazy to me because you are playing like real people um jennifer jason lee did improvise a couple of little moments i think uh the thing with the cat the meow um, little pun that was her but overall she was really steeped in who dorothy parker was she read her entire um you know her entire output as a writer she also said she was not somebody who knew a lot about poetry especially how to read poems out loud because that is a real skill she poured over the very few um audio recordings we had of uh, dorothy parker that were available to her to get the cadence right and that accent but she said one really invaluable thing was talking to her mom barbara turner who's a writer and she said she would have me meet up with her for tea at hotels, which kind of fit in with the Algonquin roundtable. And then she would have me read these poems out loud and we would talk about poems in order to see if I was, you know, reading it the right way or what to kind of zero in on. I loved her uh, performance of these amazing poems. Some of them are very wry, acerbic, some of them shock you. They're devastating. They're romantic. They're funny. Uh, she was a different uh, woman depending on the day, depending on the minute, pretty much. And you, it comes through in her work. This was my first exposure to who Dorothy Parker was. I remember it made me very, very curious of reading uh, her work as well as a young woman because I did find it fascinating. You mentioned the cast. Campbell Scott is one of my all-time favorites. She was in another film with Campbell Scott. Oh, yeah, The the Love Letter. Yes, which I remember because I worked in a Hallmark store when I was a teenager. And so on the like TV behind us, we would play the Hallmark Hall of Fame movies. (laughs) And one of them was Love Letter. And I kept putting it in mainly for Jennifer Jason Leigh and Campbell Scott because they do have really good chemistry. They work nicely together. And I love this entire ensemble. I know Alan Rudolph, after he made The Moderns, which takes place in Paris in the 1920s, he kind of wanted to make not a fictional film, but one steeped in the same period, but uh, set in America. And it was at, I think I read a 4th of July party of Robert Altman's, where he introduced him to Jennifer Jason Leigh as This Is Your Mrs. Parker. And Rudolph was struck by how 
much she resembled her and just her spirit seemed like it would fit naturally. And I think it really does. Yeah, it does. And, you know, this is um, of, of all of his movies, I think, you know, this, this, you really feel his apprenticeship or whatever with Altman in this movie, you know, the, the in the sound design, um, particularly overlap. Yep. Yeah. I mean, what a hard thing to pull off just to have these mm-hmm. super crowded scenes where a lot of people are talking and to have it be always engaging and always, you know, fun. And, and, uh, and you're kind of, because of the way it's, it's, shot and mixed and stuff you, you're kind of hearing what you need to hear without it being frustrating that there are a lot of people talking um and you, again you have these all these characters all these actors who are 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 compelling to to watch even when they're when you're not hearing them like there are scenes where you can't hear what she's saying what jennifer jason lee's dorothy parker is saying because other people are talking but she's still compelling to watch to respond mm-hmm. and react and you know um that's something i, I definitely I love about it. Yeah, this is a film. I think each time you watch it, you're going to be able to pick out something new. I had just recently rewatched both the player. I like to watch that on yeah. uh, Oscar night and also I did Oscar too. I watched Park. It. Yeah. And just thinking about Altman, of course, shortcuts had so many characters too. And yeah. this, I think it was, they said like over 30. I'm also forgetting and just remembering like Jane Adams, just this is kind of an insane stacked cast and um you know when you watch these movies you're going to observe something different every time that's kind of the beauty of altman or hear something new and i think this film it probably plays differently every single time you watch it and that's something really cool you are going to get the arc of the the plot line and the dynamic of her relationship with the campbell scott character of course, but just in the little who's noticing who or who's fighting with who or who's maybe interested in who across the table, I think it would be a lot of fun to see this again through new eyes or to talk about it, you know, with your own round table of friends. This is the perfect movie for that. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone observed. And you do, I mean, you get these, you know, it's not just, um, the the New York of the Algonquin Roundtable era that you get you get Hollywood, Hollywood. And, and you get the you know later Dorothy Parker back in New York later in her life and you get you know kind of the way it cuts between the the early days and the later days is is uh, I think really effective and I love I love the the portrait yeah. of her. In a lot of ways, some of my favorite stuff in the movie is the portrait of her in Hollywood, which is such a fascinating yes, or thing to think about. Yeah, on like the beat generation. I thought that yeah. was very funny. Yeah. I mean, I'm always I'm always interested in hearing about that kind of great wave of novelists and, and writers. Um and I mean, I guess she wasn't a novelist, but you know, uh poets and short story writers and novelists who were brought out to Hollywood and kind of working in the studio system and kind of put up in these shacks and and you know it's endlessly kind of fascinated by that that time last tycoon of it all yeah yeah what you know what what it must have been like for those writers um to, to be out there and and mostly it's kind of horror stories or, or kind yeah. of soul-sucking kind of stories. Although occasionally you get a writer like Daniel Fuchs who writes about 
wrote, you know, about Brooklyn and New York and, and, and then went to Hollywood, never really wrote novels again, but kind of wrote lovingly of his time in, in Hollywood. Um, but yeah, so I, I love, I love that. Um, I love that portrait of her and, and Hollywood just kind of mm-hmm. doing the work. Um, not really being yeah. drawn in by the glitz or glamour of it at all, but just kind no. of behind the scenes. Sitting and knitting. I love yeah. that. Yes. Or with her dog or whatever is going on. Yes. And it's a, it's a great, um, obviously what she's doing with her voice. I think that's probably a hard line. I mean, she does this in the Hudsucker Proxy, Mrs. Parker and Kansas City. I mean, it's a fine line to walk, um, like not to have that feel like, parody or 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 something to make it natural when I was I was trying to listen to her delivery this time and (laughs) was really noticing it felt like it was coming off the edge of her vocal cords and that's got to be very hard on your voice um, to do that kind of day in and day out and the cadence and also make it seem like you're not performing or um, you know like put a push the button and have the actor recite a poem not at all. Yeah. It does feel like a living and breathing thing. I mean, there are moments where she is breaking uh, the wall and talking directly to the camera, of course, but, you know, it really, it works well. It's a nice balance because then you do see her casually just having a conversation with someone. And then you see the performance side of Dorothy Parker, which must have been, you know, what it was really like. I also love the stuff of them being critics and the politics of it all with uh, who gets paid what and how much and then just the treatment of uh drama critics and how yeah. <laughs> she was willing to you know um trash things so viscerally that then it would lose them advertisers or friends and i thought that whole thing was very very funny too to see where she came from yeah 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 totally and and you know i think um and this is also probably true of of uh Hudsucker in kansas city um, but maybe this one, most of all, I think there's a great physicality to her performance. Um, the way she walks, the way she carries herself, the way she yeah. carries her, her, her dogs in, in the movie, you know, just, just, um, really just, um, I don't know. She's just, there's never a moment where you could take your eyes off of her, which is as something I know you're drawn directly to yeah. her. Yeah, and watching um, all of these films very, very quickly. I mean, what a contrast when you watch this compared to something like Georgia, which is the next yeah. film. Yeah. 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 Is there anything you wanted to add on Mrs. Uh, Parker? Or should we go to the next? No, one? I mean, you know, I think it's a brilliant, brilliant movie. Yes. And, um, and I think it's one of her absolute best performances. And I, I think it's a movie that uh, hopefully will get a good Blu-ray release and will mm-hmm. kind of come back into the public consciousness a little more because like you said at the beginning it has been it has been lost to time a little bit and has kind of fallen into this um well not totally because it had that run on the criterion channel and it is available to rent but you know it it deserves a wider audience and it deserves to be you know reconsidered i don't think she was i mean it's amazing to look back and think that she wasn't nominated for a movie like this Um, yeah my goodness I mean, you know, and we're going to get to Georgia in a second, which she obviously should have been nominated for. But it's also yes. uh, amazing. That, not that I put too much stock in, you know, I, I try no, to put my, I think I, I think probably a lot of my opinion about Academy Awards was kind of shaped in this era when I yep. 
it, I stopped putting stock in them because she wasn't like an actress like Jennifer Jason Lee wasn't being nominated and they didn't mean anything. Um, that was kind of how I felt, I think, you know. Um, so, but it's a, it's an incredible performance and, and just a great, great film. And I'm glad, I, you know, I, again, this is uh, mainly a time we talk about Jennifer Jason Lee, but uh, it is, I'm glad to have the opportunity to talk about an Alan Rudolph movie uh, too, um, because like I said, he has become one of my favorite directors over the last few years and, and I've really enjoyed going back to his films and I really especially enjoyed going back to this and kind of watching it as an Alan Rudolph movie um very so, cool yeah. yeah I'm glad you chose it well one year later we find Lee giving another career best Oscar worthy as we were pointing out uh turn in a film that was written by her mother Barbara Turner playing a destructive drug addicted barroom singer who has a complex part jealousy-fueled, part adoring relationship with her highly successful, well-adjusted folk singer sister, Georgia, played by Mayor Winningham, Lee gives a searing, no-holds-barred portrayal that grips us from the start of the film all the way to its finish. Equally impressive for Winningham's Academy Award-nominated turn, the film from director Ulu Grossbard remains one of the best female-driven works of the 1990s. What did you think of this one? Oh, well, I mean, I think this is maybe my favorite performance ever by anybody. Oh, <laughs> yeah, wow. No, I don't, I don't want to be hyper, too hyperbolic. I'm prone to it. But um, but I really do, I love do feel that it. way. I think it's absolutely her best performance. I think it's it's a performance that, you know, if you... I'm obviously, I don't have a background in, in acting or anything, but, um, you know, so what, what I tend to, the way I tend to think about performances is, you know, what, what the ones I can't shake, the ones I can't stop thinking about. And, you know, uh, and there are a few performances like, like this for me. I mean, this is like Jenna, Jenna Rollins level. Um, I'm so glad you said Jenna Rollins because it does feel like kind of a direct line to something she would have done with Cassavetes in the seventies for sure. Um, Thinking about it, watching it this time, I'm like, wow, those, is it Alex Ross Perry? Is that the, Oh yeah. Her smell. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Her smell smell really owes a debt of gratitude to this film for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But what a just tremendous performance and also a very personal film. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's sister, who's no longer with us, uh, was a, a drug addict and struggled and um, I think was also hoping to have a career in the industry, I believe. And so when Lee had a little more nor- notoriety and this was after Single White Female and she had some money and some, um, you know, more gravitas and more traction, she really put this idea together herself. It was a passion project and kind of pitched it to her mom. Like, would this be something you'd be interested in writing to two sisters? And the mom uh, was completely excited by it, but it did take some more convincing to, to get it off the ground and get it running. And her sister was a technical advisor on the film. So you can only imagine why, um, this one does mean the most to her in every interview she cites, you know, Miami blues, the hateful eight, 
And then Georgia seems to be one of the the main ones that she will go back to. And for really good reason, just even some of her vocal performances, uh, like when she's doing the, like, I think they said eight and a half minute long cover of the Van Morrison number and the interplay between her and Mayor Winningham, or just the level of joy when we first see her watching Mayor Winningham do uh, one of her numbers is just really moving and it's a completely unglamorous just risky performance she dropped down to like 90 pounds for this movie and uh boy it yeah it slays you for sure yeah and i mean i think um you know i talked a second ago about this being just one of those performances i i could never or one of those movies i, I never stopped thinking about um, and that the, the scene where she sings Van Morrison's "Take Me Back," um, yes. that that scene is probably the scene I've thought about the most yep. ever. Really, I mean, like you know, since I saw it, I, I've never shaken the the impact of that scene of 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 Marilyn's Georgia watching Jennifer Jason Leigh Sadie perform, you know, kind of from the from the shadows on the side of the stage, and it's just um, it's just it, it kind of the entirety of what works in the movie is boiled down to that that one scene the the the, the their relationship the mm-hmm. the, the um mayor winningham's talent and 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 um jennifer jason lee's uh desperation you know it's just uh it's just all in that scene so much so much pain so, so much going on and um yeah and you know a great again a great um a great physical performance by her you know great vocal performance she's doing all the singing and you know very often like singing in a very kind of human way like not Guttural, yeah yeah not not ever especially compared to Mary Winningham who's got a great kind of Emmy Lou Harris like yeah. voice like lilting you know, she, and beautiful and, yeah but Jennifer Jason Lee's character has this kind of you know which is feels true to a lot of kind of maybe the punk singers of, of that generation, just like not a good voice, but yeah. Something, going else, for something it. else. Yeah. Like total, singing it like she means it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's that great, I mean, the other, the other scene I think about, I mean, I think about a lot of scenes in this movie a lot actually, but other than the take me back scene, there's that great conversation they have at the end where, where she talks about, uh, desperation like everything she does is desperate nothing mayor winningham does is desperate it's just great great conversation that really nails um their two characters i think so one thing i love in film and it's something that doesn't get used a lot especially among women sibling relationships i'm somebody who always wanted a sister i grew up super tight with my brother so like a movie like you can count on me means the world to yeah. me I love films about um, the relationships and the difficulties of uh, two very different siblings. And sometimes you can see in this film as you're watching it, like as together and successful as Mayor Winningham's character is, there's a little bit of jealousy on that end as well. Maybe that people do kind of just stop and do things for her or her freedom or her willingness to like just go there. And yeah. so it's it's interesting how it goes 
both ways a little bit. I love the men in the movie. Uh, watching it this time, I was really taken in not only by Max Perlick, who we brought up when we were talking about Rush, but Ted Levine. What a performance. Yeah, what a great performance. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah, he is just amazing in it because you see him as somebody who's kind of ping-ponging between these women. He loves them both. You know, he is with Mayor Winningham's character. It's her husband. But also he thinks the world and wants the best for the Jennifer Jason Lee character. I thought that was a really nice uh, idea of having, you know, sometimes you would expect a brother-in-law character in a movie to be very like judgmental of, I don't want her around our kids or that. And, um, you know, I thought it was a really clever way of drawing a male into their uh, dynamic and maybe kind of help balance the scales a little bit between them. I thought that was cool. Yeah, that is a, it's a great performance. And I think you're spot on there. Cause that, I think in any other movie, you expect that character to be yeah. just kind of like bitchy, naggy, like get okay. this lady away from, away from my kid. And he's so not that ever. I mean, and never, he's no. very consistent throughout the movie and consistently just great to her and, and understanding of her. And it obviously counterbalances the way Georgia feels about her and all the repressed kind of anger she has at her. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a wonderful performance. And and you're right. There's I mean, we talked a little bit earlier, but Max Perlick is great in this movie as Axel. Yes. And, you know, their scenes together, him and and Jennifer Jason Lee um are are wonderful john c Riley's great in the in the yeah, parts that he's in early john I had c forgotten him yep john doe is really good in it you know mm -hmm. um, but yeah that that ted levine performance <clears throat> in particular is something that really hits hard i think and um and it's kind of a almost feels like a gift to the character of sadie you know i mean she's she's got so much going against her but it's nice that that the movie gives her this guy who's always kind to her and always understanding of her and, and never never turns never never turns the other way at all. Um, I know. I like that because I think that would have been an easy thing to do, especially in this genre of movie. You know, you're expecting oh the rock scene, all the men are just going to be assholes yeah. essentially, and so it's nice to see that uh you know these these two men who love and want to help this woman and you know she's her own worst enemy at times and yeah i i can only imagine how difficult this would have been to work through some things uh in her own life not only with her sister but also her very difficult relationship with her father who had a drug problem herself uh, himself i read an interview with her good friend phoebe cates where she was talking about how, you know, she kind of stopped seeing him around the time she was an early teen because he had admitted he'd been super abusive with her mother. And also he wanted to party and do drugs even with his kids. And she wasn't willing to uh, do that with him. And um, of course, she doesn't want to talk too much about him. She's private. And also he died very tragically on the set of the Twilight Zone film um, in that horrific case but i think this movie would have maybe been a little cathartic for them but also extremely difficult and it's just 
we talked about her courage, but once again, it's, it's very true for Georgia. Yeah. 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 And you know, I mean, I think it's a, it's a really, um, I don't know, a movie like this, you know, and there, there are plenty of movies that are kind of portraits of, of addicts and, and, um, troubled artists and, and, you know, stuff like that. And very often similar to, you know, what we were just saying about biopics, like that kind of stuff can, can play as, you know, when it's made for all the wrong reasons can kind of play as trauma porn and can, can just not not be, you know, you can feel icky after you walk away from it or whatever, but this movie never even comes close to that. I mean, it's totally, empathetic portrait of addiction and mm-hmm. and and you know emotional trauma and, and 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 nobody in this movie is is bad you know i mean no. these are all really human characters and um and there's i love no that greg almonds no yeah. no yeah there's, there's <laughs> no there's no villain in this movie and and um it's really you know their their relationship is is um obviously at the center of it but but there's there's a lot more going on too. It's it's not just um, it's not just about their relationship. It's really in a lot of ways it's about about creativity and different approaches to to being an artist and and what that yeah. what that means and success versus failure and you know and if, what if is those success? things yeah, yeah if those things mean anything at all really you yeah. know um and yeah so it's uh, it's it's absolutely you know one of my favorite films i think in general but but certainly one of one of my favorite if not my favorite performance ever and i really love you know i think um grossbard is a is is a underrated director i mean he didn't direct a ton of stuff but everything he directed um i haven't i think he only directed like seven or eight movies i want to say i know he's more famous for the stage but you know he really did but yeah, these straight, character straight time, love straight time. Straight time, brilliant. Um, he, you know, there's a movie he made. Um, it wasn't his first movie. I think it was his second or third. But a movie he made in the '70s called "Who Is Harry Kellerman?" and why is he's saying those terrible, terrible things about me? Which yeah, is is like not that. a not a great movie, but it's good, and and it's got another one of my favorite performances of all time, which is Barbara Harris, and is you know her. She's in it for about ten or. 12 minutes or something I, I could have that you know number off by a little but it's an incredible performance um that's kind of you know feels in a lot of ways like this movie is as a as a feature-length movie kind of in in the vein of that Barbara Harris performance which is oh, that's um, a good good note yeah yeah, um, that was also with Dustin Hoffman. I have never seen that, but boy, do I want to now. But it's really it's it's worth seeing. It's again not a great movie, but that performance um, is is just absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. yeah, he's a real um, actor's director because yeah. it was actually uh, Hoffman was supposed to direct Straight Time, and um, at the yeah. last minute he was I think he was taking too long or he had issues with the studio and was supposed to choose somebody, and so he chose Ulu, who he had a great experience on that other film with. But yeah, Ulu I think is also just drawn to human dramas and uh, character-driven pieces, falling in love 
is a really yeah, underrated movie. Bill's another yes, you're a fan yeah, of that love one. Yeah, falling in love, and I love yes, uh, true, you con- got, true confessions. True confessions. Yeah, two with De Niro there, and Meryl yeah. Streep, of course, is in Falling in Love. So he works really well and collaborates with these character actors, and that made him like kind of the perfect one here for for Georgia, I think. Yeah, and and you know, I, I feel like um, I'd be remiss not to talk about. Barbara Turner a little bit more yeah. because she I mean it's a brilliant script I mean you know it's I, I think the first thing you walk away from this movie thinking about is going to be Jennifer Jason Lee's performance but um Mayor Winningham's also brilliant all these other guys we talked about are great in it um and Ulu Grossbard great job as director but it's a terrific script and she's a really interesting writer she made a, she wrote a movie called Freedom which um in the early eighties, I, I think was a TV movie, um, which was just recently released as part of that fun city editions, um, primetime panic oh, okay. box set. And it's really interesting because it feels like a kind of spiritual predecessor to Georgia. Mayor Winningham is the star of it. And she plays a musician who, um, runs away from home and kind of goes on the road with a carnival. Um, it's not exactly like, uh, you know, it doesn't ever feel like, a, a prequel to Georgia or, but it definitely got some of the same DNA and, and you can really see Barbara Turner kind of tangling with a lot of the same themes and issues that she, I think more fully and more meaningfully develops in, in Georgia, but it's really, really worth tracking down and, and watching. And um, is a really kind of interesting companion piece to, to Georgia. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, she's uh, it's, I, I wish she'd, I wish she'd written more. I wish she had even more of a, um filmography to explore as a writer but um but georgia is absolutely you know a great script and it would be also a good companion to another barbara turner script uh, for pollock a little oh, bit yeah, yeah. yeah pollock, exploring yeah. the genius of uh jackson pollock with ed harris and marcia gay harden that was a very good script as well barbara turner yeah. wrote and she also wrote, um, speaking, bringing it back to Altman, who's our next, uh, she wrote the script for The Company with Nev oh, Campbell. Oh, that's right. Which I is, I love The Company. It's probably one of my favorite Robert Altman yeah. movies. Uh, I'm one of the weirdos. I went to see it three times in the theater yeah. because I love ballet and dance and seeing Nev Campbell actually do these things. Uh, Terrence Stamp was good. Like It's a great film. And that was Barbara Turner. That was another passion project. So just like ed harris's pollock was a passion project for ed harris so i think um she has a lot of enthusiasm and interest in exploring creativity all three of those movies you have a painter you have a you know musician and then you also have a dancer and so i think barbara turner had also been an actress uh in her own background as well so this is kind of uh, her milieu and boy she's just really good at it yeah yeah and I, I love i love pollock and i love the company and i haven't revisited both of those in, in quite some time and um that, that that's a that's a, a great thing to, to bring up i mean just that um that kind of trilogy in those 10 years that she mm-hmm. she's responsible for it's a, a you know really really fascinating to think about the way they they link up. And you mentioned earlier um, the Alex Ross Perry movie, Her Smell, which is a, a movie that I I feel like um, people either really liked or really hated. But I, I quite 
liked it. And I did too. Yep. A big, a big reason I liked it is because I felt it was drawing on Georgia, or, or you know, at least Elizabeth Moss's oh, performance what was an drawing incredible on. performance. Yep. Just a knockout performance, and it was really like you know, one of the first things I'd seen that that hit me the way Georgia um, hit me. So um, that's that I think would pair really well with with this movie yeah all of those really good ideas for sure and then i will yeah, I, no, let it. me say one more thing because i did i did mention that it's an absolute travesty that she wasn't not, oh that, I, again, not that i not that i don't put not that i put any value in this stuff at all or i learned not too early on but a travesty that she wasn't nominated for this movie and it was a it was a stacked year to be fair, it was like Sharon Stone and Casino, Elizabeth mm-hmm. Shue in Las Vegas, Susan Sarandon and Dead Man Walking, Emmett Thompson and Sense and Sensibility and Meryl Streep and something. Um, but yeah, oh, Bridges, Bridges of Madison County, which is a, oh, it was a, oh it, was a it was a it was a Love really spec- yeah, me yeah. too. And, and Susan Sarandon won that year, but um, I mean, honestly, any of those women could have won. They're yeah. all great performances, but. Jennifer Jason Lee in Georgia and Meryl Streep in Bridges of Madison County are two of my favorite performances ever. So it, it's hard to imagine uh, anything that's not them winning. But um, it, you know, it's a, it's a kind of also feels like the the beginning of the end of her getting parts like this too, um, which is as another kind of. Yeah, when you look back on it, it does have an undercurrent of of that. Like this was maybe her early uh, pinnacle, her uh, peak for sure, and then uh, didn't get as good of parts as she deserved. I think. Yeah. No, and I mean, I mean, imagine by the time this came out, you know, Kansas City was already being filmed, and and then there's Washington Square, and then it's just kind of no more or or very infrequent leading performances um you know a lot of voice work some tv stuff some lots of supporting performances but yeah uh, not a ton not a ton of leading performances and certainly nothing like this was only her second lead performance according to her when she was talking about her own career she mrs parker was like her first lead and then um, she was in Dolores Claiborne right after it, which I thought oh, was a yeah. very good film. Uh, I love Dolores was, Claiborne, yeah. That was a two-hander or supporting performance opposite uh, Kathy Bates. And uh, then Georgia, yep, was her next. Well, again, it's it's a co-lead, but she has more scenes. So I guess you could say lead lead. Yes, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this feels, and Mayor Winningham was weirdly nominated for this movie. Uh, not weirdly, because she's wonderful. And oh, I yeah. It, it, she even acknowledged, that, she's like, Jennifer yeah. should be in this mix. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, she totally is deserving of it because it's, mm-hmm. it's a great performance. It's a very restrained performance, but. Um, I think she's so underrated is, as an actress in general. Oh, she's, yeah. yeah, she's she's brilliant. And, um, but it means so much of of what she does in the movie relies on. Um, yeah. um, Jennifer Jason Lee. So that's that's why I said weird because you know it's they both should have nominated. I mean they both should have won. I, I could easily imagine them both winning. It's just uh, just you know movie built on those those two performances. Yeah. Well, lastly, we have a jazz fueled character driven musical dramedy from 1996 
Robert Altman's Kansas City takes a look at vice, music, politics, and corruption over a 24-hour period when Missouri is set to hold a consequential 1934 election. Jennifer Jason Lee plays a desperate, Jean Harlow-obsessed woman who holds the laudanum-addicted wife of a politician hostage to try to secure her kidnapped husband's release. Less interested in telling a traditional, straightforward story, Kansas City is more focused on the people that populate it and the sounds of its setting. So what are your thoughts on this one? Um, well, I, I love Robert Altman. And I, I loved Robert Altman, you know, in those years, that's when I discovered him. I yeah. probably, probably was, the player was... The, that was my first, know, yep. That was my first. And so I love Shortcuts, too. I could have very easily chosen Shortcuts to talk about today. Um, she's brilliant in that, but it feels, you know, Shortcuts is obviously such a an ensemble mm-hmm. movie um, that I thought Kansas City would be a little bit more appropriate because it's also an ensemble movie, but it's you know she's she's the lead you know she's basically the star of it um uh you know there's a couple of other people who have maybe close to as much screen time as she does but i think she's she's definitely got the most um and you know it's a it's a like i said it feels like this kind of triptych of performances um between uh, Hudsucker, Mrs. Parker, and this, where she's developing something. And, and um, I, I think it's, you know, there's such longing in this performance. I think it's a really underrated performance. I think this movie was not, if I remember correctly, received particularly well. Mm-mm. It was kind of mixed, mixed reviews. Yeah. I don't know how people, resp- I can't remember how people responded to her performance, but um you know, rewatching it this time, I was really just struck by the, the the longing, and you know, a lot of what, really, a lot of what uh, makes Georgia work, and you know, this this um, idea that she wants to be um, Jean Harlow, and you know, it's just the the really there's this kind of beautiful melancholy to to her performance in this movie, and also really deep humor she kind of gets to flex those screwball muscles again a little bit in this movie um her scenes with miranda richardson which are mostly her scenes in the movie i think most of most of the scenes are are the two of them um are just really um sweet and funny and weird um and you know i like i like the movie very much on a whole it's probably you know I mean, Robert Altman's got an insanely crowded field of of great movies, so I don't think Kansas City is is up near the top. But it's um, it's a movie I return to a lot, and I like quite a quite a lot. Um, and part of what I love about it the most is is her. I think. I mean, I think she's the driving force here. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's kind of a flawed film. It's a little bit messy. I don't love it quite as much, but I think it's a great experiment. I love all the jazz. I love uh, what it's going for. It's again, yeah, you you really don't care or are not that interested in all in the plot. You just kind of want to hang out with these people and sort of observe what they're going to do next. You mentioned the longing, and I think that's really what makes her performance so powerful because some of the lines do get a little stagey and a little cutesy, like. 
you know, park the body sister and put some snap into it, or don't try to hi hat me. And she's supposed to try to get all of these lines out there. And it can feel a little protracted. At first, when I was watching it um, a few years ago, and I reviewed it, I thought, "Ooh, this is going to be a little bit long. But then the longer the film went on, and I said long twice there, I meant long as far as uh, not being able to deal with that dialogue. But the more we got into the film, I started to realize I was far more fascinated in what was coming between the lines for her, like the way yeah. she was watching um, Jean Harlow in the picture show or later, or um, trying to figure out what life must be like for this laudanum addicted wife, or if they were telling the truth or wanting respect for her and her man and how much she just loves this guy that she's with and just her observational stuff, um, taking in the scenes. And I thought it's a real, a film full of context clues and body language. Um, and she really adds a lot to that performance that I think otherwise might've been a little too mannered and a little too um, reminiscent of a movie trying to be very 1930s. Yeah. To me, besides that, I thought Miranda Richardson is great. Of course, I loved all of their scenes together, but I loved everything going on in that jazz club, for sure. Yeah. The Hey Hey with um, Harry, Belafonte. Harry Belafonte playing. Yeah, he's, totally a, he's incredible. Type. He's menacing in that movie. And I also enjoy that they did draw on real life, really cool 90s instrumentalists to bring all of that great music and those characters, uh, the sounds of Charlie Parker, Count Basie, Lester Young, Coleman Hawkins to life. So if you're a jazz geek and you love um, the music of that era, you're going to really enjoy it. And also, I think you're going to see what Jennifer Jason Lee can do when she um, is playing subtly, maybe against the the confidence that she's trying to exude in the lines. There's something under, underneath it, the desperation there that makes it really compelling to watch. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's spot on. I, I think about Harry Belafonte, I could be, I could be wrong, but I feel like I read somewhere that he improvised all his lines in the movie. You know, um, it sounds like it. And I think I did hear that a lot of it was improvised. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm sure I read it somewhere. I don't think I'm yeah. pulling it out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, back there. I mean, one of my favorite things to think about this as a, you know, because it's kind of structured in this weird Altman way where it's got this narrative and there's some timeline stuff going on. And then there's also all these cuts to, to the performances in the jazz club. You, you can kind of lose track of the fact that at its core, this is kind of a very simple crime movie yes. about about my favorite my favorite kind of crime story just kind of like a failed criminal you know or, or mm -hmm. somebody doing something out of desperation and not succeeding and not really having their heart in it yeah. um you know those are those are the kinds of crime stories that tend to to really stick with me i'm not interested in like you know the master the safe yeah, yeah master safe cracker or whatever i want to know about like the regular person who is pushed into a corner and and acts out of some feeling of necessity um and you and you really get that in her character and like you said there's this this longing and melancholy under the surface that maybe on a first viewing doesn't mm -hmm. come through so much until she starts talking about Jean Harlow 
Yeah. Um, you know, that, that scene in particular, uh, this time rewatching it really, I found really moving and the, the way, you know, the, just thinking about the ways we connect with, with, um, artists and, and the fact that Jean Harlow was from Kansas city and the fact that she's representative of something to the Blondie, um, promise a way out something better, you know, and this movie does a lot of interesting stuff with, with class and, and r really her relationship with the Miranda Richardson character in some ways is not totally different than Sadie's relationship with Georgia. Georgia. You know? Yes. Um, I agree with you. So, so I mean that's all that's all really fascinating to me and and um, she's got a couple of just a couple of lines in this movie that I think I think you're right I mean I think it does so, some of the lines are a little too on point but there are some there are some lines that are really really funny and and delivered in a really funny way. I agree with you and I'm glad yeah you're bringing up that that scene where she's talking to Miranda Richardson about. Jean Harlow and Joan Crawford being from there yeah. and uh, the, the undercurrent of kind of a sisterly thing that's happening. Watching it this time, I was thinking about one of your really good friends and uh, someone I've been lucky enough to talk to and have on the show a few times, Megan Abbott. And I was thinking about how yeah. much her femme noir or her crime fiction, which always is very strong and female driven also has like elements of her love of film and old uh, literature and old crime books. And I was thinking watching that scene in particular, like this feels like a Megan Abbott kind of moment or something she would gravitate to as well. And that's, to me, that's like the best compliment because uh, Megan's such an incredible writer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you've ever, read, I don't, I, I've talked to Megan about Altman a ton. Um, <laughs> And she loves Altman, and I love Altman. So we, we've we've talked we've talked about a lot of his movies. I don't remember if we've talked much about Kansas City. Um, okay, maybe in passing, but I definitely definitely see what you're saying. If you've ever read her novel, Bury Me Deep, I think there's yes. some some connections there. You know, her period, yeah, definitely her period noirs. Um, kind of, I really get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting movie. The cast is just completely stacked. I mean, it's Altman. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah Had it's you a, it's seen a, this one back when it came out? Or was this yeah, like a later I, watch for you? No, I saw this when it came out. I mean, you know, this was this came out in 96. I was, you know, freshman in college. And by then I was already, you know, uh, there was yeah. no way I was missing this. I was a huge Altman fan. Mm -hmm. I was a huge Jennifer Jason Lee fan. So this was... Um, you know, I don't remember exactly how I first saw it, um, but I definitely saw it as soon as I could. Um, yeah. And, you know, and it's not, I mean, it's not, you know, of Altman's 90s work. Um, I don't think it stands out for people in the way that the player or, or shortcuts does, certainly. No. But or highs and it, lows. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, you know, it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a really good film, I think. And, and, you know, it's not on the level of those movies, but it's a really interesting entry in his filmography. And, I, you know, he was born there too, I think. So, um, yeah, yeah that's perfect of, for that. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of kind of, I think just real, um, passion for the place, 
um, and, yeah. you know, and the music uh, again, you know, recre- recreating the, the time period and, and, um, and, you know, and getting the music right. And, you know, that stuff is all, it's a, it's a, a movie I, you know, while I, I agree with you that it's flawed, it's, it's a flawed movie yeah. that I am yeah. capable of returning to over exactly. and over and over again. So, um, that's yeah, it's a really hangout cool. movie. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. You can't, and you can't say, you can't say that about, you know, a lot of movies that are perfect, you know, I mean, no. there's a rewatchability factor with this movie that I think mm-hmm. makes it, um, definitely one of his more interesting kind of later, later films. Yeah. Yeah. It was a weird period for him, but this one, I think, um, it also just shows his strengths as somebody who you brought up sound design earlier, especially with yeah. Parker, but you really see that here. I always have thought he was kind of making musicals, even when he wasn't making musicals or, yeah. you know, Nashville is a very music driven film, but just from the beginning, um, the way he employs music and something like McCain, McCabe versus or McCabe and Mrs. Miller, or um, the way the dialogue, of course, throughout his career. And I think also this would be an interesting one to watch with another 90s film he made that I really love that I, I don't think a lot of people did was Cookie's Fortune. Oh, so yeah. It's I another, yeah, Fortune. sort of Southern oh, yeah. story of, of these characters. And again, you know, there's really no mystery there in that one. You're just kind of following along with these people, but you get so charmed by them or so drawn in. And that's yeah. the beauty of uh, Kansas City. And along with the, again, the production design, the costuming. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually, I, I actually thought about um, Cookie's Fortune a few times when I was rewatching Kansas City this time. I think they yeah. do they do feel very similar. They feel like very similar exercises. And I live just, you know, 30, 30 miles away from where Cookie's Fortune was filmed. So I've got, oh, cool. it's weird. It's weird to have this like, um, Robert Altman, uh, Mississippi, you know, history here. You know, um, so it's cool. really, it's really interesting. It was something I didn't quite know so much about when I moved here from New York, but Barry Hanna, who is a writer I love who lived here for a long time, well, you know, basically went out to LA to live with Robert Altman, and and that was the beginning, I think, of um, of the Robert Altman Mississippi connection. I, he came, he wound up coming here and shooting uh, Cookie's Fortune in Holly Springs. Um, but yeah, you're right. There's there's a definite tonal similarity and structural similarity, I think, between Cookie's Fortune and Kansas City. Yeah. Well, I know that's all the ones we had time for today, but obviously Jennifer Jason Lee's career is still going strong. So I know we mentioned several others, but do you have any of her films that you really would recommend people seek out if they're new to her work or maybe only know her recent TV stuff or her more recent films, whether or not they're from the 90s period, of course, just any you recommend? Yeah, there's so many. I mean, you know, it's such an interesting career beyond this kind of peak period that we've focused in on. Um, and we talked about many of the others that I'd recommend. Yeah. Kind of first and foremost, Dolores Claiborne, I love Shortcuts. Um, some of those 80s movies, Heart of Midnight is really, um, really interesting. Um, yeah, I think we um, all really liked that one. Yeah. Yeah. I just, there's a movie I watched just recently for the first time um, that just got a Blu ray release vinegar syndrome called sister sister um oh, from 87 okay. um that's um 
her and uh, Judith Ivy and Eric Stoltz, and it's it's uh, it's pretty pretty interesting. Good good little film. Buried Alive from 1990 is really good. The Frank Darabont movie. Um, we talked about Washington Square a little bit. Um, you know, of course, Existence, and and then you know, in the cut, and you know, there, there's a great string of kind of supporting um, performances there. Her movie, The Anniversary Party, is. is I really liked that one. Terrific. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a movie I watched recently that I, I had never known about or somehow missed um, from this period is called. It's a short film called The Prom. Okay. By. Um, Steven Sheinberg, uh, the guy who directed Secretary. Secretary, yeah. Um, and apparently they dated for a little while. And they they also apparently made a short film version of Secretary together that is uh. impossible impossible to find. But the prom you can find. It's on YouTube. It's it's um not long. I want to say forty minutes, and it's kind of you know I think it was a, a student film. He was he was um it was his student film. So it's got a lot, but it's it's very indebted to Paris, Texas, and Adam McGowan, and and uh, you know a, a couple other big influences. Um, but she's incredible in it, and, and it's basically like the same thing as Paris, Texas. This this kid um, who's got a uh, rare skin disease kind of tumbles into this this um, this club where you go to rooms just as like in Paris, Texas that are labeled like office, uh, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember what they are library, you know, whatever. And, yeah. and the one he goes into is called the prom and, and the, the woman behind the glasses, Jennifer Jason Lee, she's in a room getting ready for her prom. And, but it's, it's, it's a really like Paris, Texas. It doesn't get, it doesn't go down like the exploitative mm-hmm. roads. It's just very much about, their relationship and it's very kind of tender and um and she's great in it. it's a great great film that i just watched a few weeks ago for the first time so i definitely where is that recommend it. I, I just watched it on youtube i don't okay, think you can cool. find it anywhere else i mean it kind of is not the best quality and the audio is out of sync a little bit at the end but that's the only way to watch it as far as i know so um and then you know the the, the late period stuff um i mean obviously she she got nominated for an Academy Award for The Hateful Eight. And, um, it's a, you know. It wasn't my favorite, but she is good in it. Yeah, It's not my favorite either, but she is she is yep. terrific in it. And uh, Annihilation, she's really good. Mm-hmm. I, but the thing that sticks out the most to me in, in her kind of later period work is Anomalisa. I think that's just one yes. of the most brilliant. I mean, it's a voice performance, but uh, it's a brilliant brilliant performance and really it really is one of the few times in recent years where i think somebody just gave her that much to do you know yeah. and 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 she just blew yeah. it out of the water you know she's just yeah reuniting yeah. after synecdoche new york i also remember just little things she did like road to perdition she was very good in yeah. 90s film we're forgetting bastard out of carolina she was very good in too. which yeah came out the same year as Kansas City, I think, right? My goodness, yeah. Um, I haven't a... watched that. I haven't watched that since it came out, but I remember. Um, it being very I remember powerful. It being yeah. great. And I can't. Yeah, I, I mean, um, you know, at the time, 
I watched it. I did not love Margot at the wedding. Um, I did I not either. That one, oh my gosh. I don't think I disliked the movie more that year than I did Margot at the wedding. It became a punchline. Yeah. yeah. I brought I a friend back who was angry at me after we left. She's like, you are not picking the movie. I mean, it was a press screening, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, yeah, she's I mean, always good though. Yeah, she is. And, and in theory, I think, you know, that movie yep. should should have worked for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, on paper, it, it sounds great, but it, it just didn't, it didn't for me. But I haven't gone back to it since. No, since it yes, out, same. So. Yep. Yeah. But I don't want to, I don't want to end on talking about a movie of hers I didn't, didn't like that much. So. No, um, not at yeah, all. And uh, uh, Miami Blues we talked about. So be sure you go back for that one because I know that's another favorite. Anomalisa, I guess I read that they allowed them to do it on uh, the stage for a couple days. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. And boy, I, w- I would love to see that. I wish I could have seen her also play Sally Bowles in Cabaret, which is where she worked yeah. with uh, Alan Cumming, of course. And yeah, that's one of those ones I would I, I wish I could have seen the most, I think, of, of musicals on Broadway. Yeah. I, I will say I also love her, obviously, and, you know, my my favorite things ever is Twin Peaks The Return and and it's not a True. huge part but she's yeah she's she's great in in the, the small part she has in that her and Tim Roth. Yeah. Um and and in good time she's she's great. It's, you know, it's really a fairly good. small role, but she's terrific in, in good time. So super effective there. I, I mean, love that such, they got her for that. Yep. Yeah. It's such a it's you know I mean it's such a incredible career but uh, but again you know i think to me um, yeah this is this is uh, the peak and you know i I mean i don't think she stopped being great but obviously you know for a variety of of um reasons um things changed for and and sexism ageism whatever whatever else but to me georgia i think georgia is the peak for me of her her performances Mm -hmm. it's just um hundred percent one of the all-time greats i agree with you well bill this was such a pleasure i want to thank you so much for doing this i'm glad we got to celebrate um an actress usually people tend to gravitate more towards the male character actors so i was really glad we could do this and also just focus on someone who has been doing such great work for so long and means so much to you so i want to thank you Oh, thanks for having me, Jen. It's always wonderful talking to you. And and this was just so much fun to get to go back and watch these movies and talk to you about it. Yes. Thank you. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment, film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting 
filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.